Very good. If you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If you have a pew Bible, um, it's on page 847, or a Bible that like, has the same page numbering as the pew Bibles. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you shall find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say to them, the Lord has need of it, and I will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and the others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! In the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, he was, it was, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. God of heaven and earth, above all, Father, you are fixed above the waters. The chaos, the brokenness, the unrest of this world has not shaken your throne. But as the nations rage, your kingdom is sure. It is true. It is righteous. And Father, you have promised you are working to make all things new. And Father, we confess to you as we watch our televisions and we... Um, speak with our families and as we lay in our beds at night and think about the worries and the weights of our world and our hearts and our families, we can feel the, how this world has shaken us for we are small. But Father, as we sing with the children, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. They are weak. We are weak. But he is strong. And Father, we come to you, and we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that you would provide for us, that you would uh, strengthen us, that you would give us your peace, for we need your strength because we do not have strength in ourselves, and we need your peace because our hearts are not at rest. Father, this morning we lift up those in our congregation who are not here. Father, whether it be traveling or um, the virus or whether it be apathy or lethargy or that they do not see the need and the commands of Scripture to be able to come together, Lord, I pray that those who are separated but want to be here, that you would minister to them and comfort them and make it possible for them to be with us soon. And for those who have not appreciated the local church and the assembly and, and have not tasted the sweetness or value the, your worship with your people, that you would convict them, 
And Lord, may they not harden them, but it would convict them to be able to see what they, we need them and they need us. Father, we thank you for the ability to come together and that you hear our prayers. Father, we lift up this morning the Proya family. We lift up especially Noel if she is struggling with pain. Lord, and as uh, that you would um, just continue to show her her need of you, that you would strengthen her body for the doctors as they work and move and, and uh, in surgery, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her body and may Christ be seen as more valuable than the things of this world and may this drive her to the cross. Father, I pray for Angelina and for Donna as they minister. Lord, and love her, and I pray that you would comfort them and guide them and uh, give them compassion and grace as they love Noel. Father, I, I pray for uh, those in our congregation that are sick or recovering, and uh, I pray for Andy Rossi and Ernie Johnston and um, those who are sick and not well right now, that you would strengthen their bodies. But their greatest need is not simply for healing, but their greatest need is Christ. And may, may their pain and their weakness and their limitations um, realize how much they need Jesus and need one another. Lord, and we pray for our congregation that we would be faithful to love our brothers and sisters, that we would love our neighbors well uh, in the midst of this time, in this fractured world that we live in, where everything becomes a political battlefield. Lord, may we stay, um, not become partisan, but Lord, that we would... Uh, speak in truth and love and, and seek to love our neighbors well and find wells, whether it be the oppressed, the downtrodden, the weak, the marginalized, Lord, that we would be a people that stands up for those uh, because we remember when we were weak and poor and humble, Father, you came from heaven to earth to love us and lay down your life. And I pray that we would lay down our lives for not only for one another, but for our friends and neighbors that they may know the truth of, this go of the gospel and seek mercy and, uh, and desire to do good and walk humbly with our God. Father, open our eyes this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts that love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Very good. As we uh, begin uh, Mark chapter 11, if you're not already there on 847 of the Pew Bibles, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. On July 3rd of this year, Disney released on its streaming service, Disney Plus, the streaming broadcast uh, blockbuster hit, Hamilton, uh, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And millions of Americans uh, uh, sat in their living room on the 4th of July and be able to hear the story of America's most unlikely founding father. History, like never before, was unfolding in their living rooms before them through the drama of the, in the theater of the stage. And I remember, I knew it was Aaron Burr who shot Alexander Hamilton, but I really had no context, and I knew they were just the two buffoons shooting each other over a political issue, and ultimately one died. But as I watched the, the theater, every word and every... Um, uh, truth of this story began to unfold like never before, like I had never seen on the pages of my 11th grade history. The power of Hamilton and also the power of theater in general is that it, it transforms static words and abstract truths into action. 
Uh, right before me, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and the fabulous Schuyler sisters became real-life people who walked and talked and rapped and interacted. I don't think they rapped as much um, 250 years ago, but uh, it was a wonderful medium to, to be able for history come alive. And the medium of theater is both physical and personal. It's action and interaction. Sp theater speaks the language of action. Kevin Van Hooser says this. He says, God's salvation history, as he calls it, the theodrama, is itself theatrical. How God's salvation is put into action. And he says, God is dramatically unfolding the kingdom of God in our world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God is literally acting out salvation before our eyes. Today we begin the third act of a three-act play that we call the Gospel of Mark. It's the familiar story that many of us have known since we were little boys and little girls. Maybe some of you, when you were little, had palm branches, and on Palm Sunday, you went down the center aisle waving the palm branch, yelling, Hallelujah, or um, Hosanna, and you remember those. And it's a familiar story, but the danger of the triumphal entry is its familiarity because often it's the most familiar things that leave us blind and it leaves us distracted and it leads us unprepared to be able to see the drama of salvation that's unfolding in our midst. Today, we, um, we need to be able to ask, what do we need to see in the text today? And this is my big idea that we have here. Uh, it says, the road that leads to God's glory is the road that follows the humble king. The road that leads to God's glory is the road that leads to the humble king. And how do we do that? Uh, one, we recognize the promised king. We recognize the promised king, and we follow the humble king. We recognize the promised king, and we follow the humble king. Let's notice how, uh, as we look with new eyes to this familiar story, that we may be led by the Holy Spirit to see and recognize the promised king in these pages. In page, uh, notice in verse 1 it says, Now when they were drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, to the Mount of Olives. Now if you've paid any attention, um, you'll notice that Mark often does not say the names of people in the text, and he often doesn't really say the places where they're going. And, but he says two significant places, Bethany and Bethpage, and also the Mount of Olives. And if you were to go to the Mount of Olives, and this is a, a picture, a rendering, for those of you in the front row, you can enjoy it. For those of you online, you can enjoy it. Those in the back, it's a really pretty picture uh, to be able to see. And it's going to come up here in a moment. Maybe not. But if it was there, it would be beautiful. But it's a picture overlooking Jerusalem because the Mount of Olives, if you look over Jerusalem, stands about, you see, you can see that. I can enjoy that beauty. Maybe Zoe and CJ can see that beauty. Nobody else can see that because it's so dark. But take my word, it's really nice. Um, but it's, the Mount of Olives is about 300 feet above 
uh, the city of Jerusalem. And um, you can look down upon the city and Mark in his drama that's unfolding, Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and Mark is very clear and he begins to record this. Because the Mount of Olives was a place of significance in the drama of the gospel. Because uh, nearly seven, eight hundred years earlier, uh, in the Babylonian captivity, it was the prophet Ezekiel who had a vision while he was sitting by the banks of a, a foreign land under a foreign king. He had the vision in Ezekiel 11.23 that shook his soul and caused him to weep. The vision of the presence of God leaving the temple and settling on the Mount of Olives before it eventually departed the city of David. And Ezekiel 11:23 says, "The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain on the east side of the city of the city." Nowhere in the Old Testament after Ezekiel talks about this, does it ever record the presence of God coming back into the temple? God, though, gave a promise that his presence would return to his temple. In the final few chapters of the Old Testament, in the final prophet Malachi, he writes these words, Behold, I send my messenger, and I will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of that covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Mark writes in verse 1 that the Lord is about to return to his temple. As he stands and surveys on the Mount of Olives, he can see down to his city and he begins to grieve because he knows he wants to embrace the city, to embrace his people that he has come to redeem, but they will not be embraced. They push back and he realizes in this week, at the end of this week, in merely six or seven days, he would die. It would not be a tragic death that he would, of circumstances, it would be the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. But the question is, Jesus surveys this lands, uh, the, uh, the landscape with his disciples before him. The questions become, will his people be ready for him? Will they recognize the Lord coming back to his temple? Would they be like their parents and grandparents who receive the Lord with stiff necks and hard hearts? So Jesus, uh, and Mark records Jesus beginning this drama of redemption, how God is working in the midst of the darkness, in the light of the world to be able to bring and lead his people out in verse 2 and 3. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. Have you ever asked and began to wonder, why does Mark spend so much time just describing how to untie a donkey's colt? This is just... Um, uh, all this detail to be able to describe how Jesus is going to get transportation into the city when Jesus could simply, like he's done everywhere else in Scripture, follow the path into the city. Well, notice at the end of 3b it says, because the Lord needs it. Nowhere is it ever recorded in Scripture that Jesus rides an animal. Now, we might picture that in our mind, but it's only in the triumphal entry that we ever see Jesus uh, riding on anything. 
Because he walks everywhere just like everybody else. Why does he make arrangements? And why does Mark go into such detail recording those arrangements that he did? Because Jesus riding this colt was about to declare his identity and the nature of his kingship. He would enter the city in the way that Solomon, the son of David, had entered the city. In 1 Kings chapter 1, uh, verses 33 through 35, it says, King David swore, saying, when um, there was a, uh, one of his other sons was about to take the throne, he said, no, Solomon will be the one that takes my throne, as God has promised um, Bathsheba. And it says, King David swore, saying, take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule. And bring him down to Gihon, then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon, and you shall then come after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. Jesus chooses this colt because Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, was returning to sit on the throne of his father David. Yet unlike Solomon who entered the city on a colt and he was lauded by the crowds. But when he got into the city, his heart did not stay stay true to the one true God because his heart was led astray by the gods of his wives. Jesus would faithfully love the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind and love his neighbor as himself. Jesus was the rightful heir of David's eternal throne. But that throne came at a great cost. For the people that would hail King Jesus in his ride into Jerusalem, those streets of Jerusalem would grow quickly quiet. I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but we'll talk about it next week. In verse 11, where it's odd because Mark describes Jesus as as after the crowds... uh, all of a sudden blow up and sing and shout and for him immediately as quickly as they came they die down and it says that evening Jesus walked into the temple and he looked around with only his disciples and then he went back to Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha where he was staying with and that was it nobody recognized him in the temple He didn't spend very much time, but we'll see that the Lord came to his temple fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi, but he found the temple wanting. As we'll see the abuses and the perversions of religion that Jesus found that did not honor him and did not honor the heart of the Father. For the drama of salvation would come at a great price to the Lord who would come into his city and to his temple. Yet Jesus embraced the road of salvation and that road that was paved with suffering because God would dwell with his people. One of the songs we sing is, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And it says, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praise, is robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Only by Jesus embracing the drama of salvation and riding into Jerusalem in the cult where he would lay down his life, can we have peace with God. We have a Savior who knew that path of suffering would lead him to the cross and he obediently and he joyfully embraced that. 
uh, at great cost to himself, that we may recognize the promised king who gives us life and trust the salvation that he brings. Because the road that leads to God's glory is the road that follows the humble king. Therefore, we are called to recognize the promised king and we're called to follow the humble king. We follow the humble king and notice in verses 7 through 10, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus comes as a righteous one who offers salvation, not as a conquering military leader. Jesus, when he comes to his people, doesn't offer his people terms of surrender. He surrenders himself to redeem them from their sin. This is the fulfillment that Zacharias promised some many, uh, 500 years earlier was recorded that Jerry read for us this morning at Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to him, righteous in having salvation. Now, the Jews at this time were excited about this. Salvation and righteousness is coming with power. But the words of the prophet say, he's humble and he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot, these these weapons of war, the war horse from Jerusalem, because the Romans came with the war horses and the chariots, but Jesus, the Son of God, the suffering servant, the humble king, he came into his city to rescue his people in humility on a donkey. And this humble king will cut off the battle bows, Zechariah says, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah promised a day when the king would come and bring peace to his people. As we talked about our ch- with our children in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of goodness, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom where Christ is king, where there is no tears and pain and sorrow. His reign would bring the nations to his rule, um, uh, bring peace to the nations because his rule and reign would stretch from sea to sea. Jesus was the liberating, humble king that Zechariah promises. And as Jesus, in this drama of salvation, descends the, the hills and his band of disciples follow him, the Galileans begin to rejoice and clamor because they are seeing this as a bold declaration. Because up to this point, that Jesus has always forbidden people to not tell his identity. And even in Mark, Jesus is quietly and humbly coming in. Even though the crowds uh, make a big fuss about him, it wasn't a big enough fuss that the Romans would come in and squash this rebellion. But Jesus is coming in, and he's making deliberate steps, and coming, fill, fulfilling the promises of salvation and peace, and coming to his people in a humble way, not on a war horse, not with power, not with weapons of mass destruction, but he's coming with peace, and he's coming with gentleness to be able to rescue his people by laying down his life. And though the people were finally were excited because Jesus was finally acting the way they wanted him to do, they laid their cloaks on the ground, they waved their palm branches, which is, uh, expresses Jewish nationalism. They cry, shout, uh, shouted Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord. 
uh, the, the Psalm 118, the halal that the people would sing, that they would pray for God's salvation, and now they were singing it because God had finally done and answered their prayers. But as they watched the people watching the promises of Zechariah unfold before them, they didn't get it. They didn't get it because Jesus was not the king they wanted. The people wanted a king that would make them rich, but Jesus would come and tell them that blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus wanted a king who would bring comfort through power and conquest, but Jesus said blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, or the people wanted a king that would crush the necks of their enemies, but Jesus said the meek would inherit the earth. People long for a king who would satisfy their power and their wealth, but Jesus offered to satisfy them with righteousness. The people long for a king who would secure victory by any means necessary, and Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. People wanted a king who would crush their enemies under their feet, and Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he told them to love and pray for their enemies. I don't see any of this on Twitter when I look. I don't see this on Facebook. I don't see this on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC. I don't see this in the newspapers. I don't see the humble king in his kingdom being magnified by his people. I see his people that are, are so entrenched with the Jesus they want because the Jesus they want gives them what they really want. They don't want God. They want God to give them what they really want. I want to be able to stand up. Jesus knew they didn't understand. In Luke chapter 19, he says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over them, saying, Would that you have seen and known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Ocean Park, the triumphal entry should serve as a dire warning to us because we too often are like those who laid their garments before Jesus and waved palm branches. I want you to know enthusiasm does not equal faith. Popularity does not equal discipleship. Praise for Jesus does not equal devotion to Jesus. For, off, for far too often, our expectations, our desires, blind us to the drama of salvation that is unfolding in our midst. And it leads us away from the true Christ that we need to the Jesus that we're comfortable with. Because our preconceived notions, our blind spots, our desires and political amb uh, amb ambitions poison our view of Jesus. Because rather than serving the Jesus of Scripture, the promises of God that gives us peace with God and calls us to go and make disciples of all the nations, we want a Jesus in our own image, in our own liking. We create graven images of Jesus that look more like us than the God of Scripture. And I pray that as we read through scriptures, it would convict us to be able to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done and what he calls us to do rather than what we want Jesus to do for us. Ocean Park, we must be careful to, to see Jesus for who he is, not what we have falsely desired him to do. Pray that the Spirit of the Lord would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand the true nation, nature of Jesus Christ. For unless the Spirit works in our hearts, our cries of Hosanna 
will quickly turn to cries of crucify him. Because the road that leads to God's glory is the road that follows the humble king. May we recognize the promised king of scripture and may we follow the humble king that leads us to peace with God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. We thank you for the privilege we have to come and hear your word and, and to be with our brothers and sisters and to sing and to hear your word read. We know many of our brothers and sisters throughout this world are not able to do such things. Father, may we not be lethargic, but be careful that we daily feed our souls with the word of God, that we would strip away the veneers of our culture, our politics, our own desires, that we would see Jesus for who he is and what he has done, and that we may be faithful followers of Jesus that we may glorify our Father in heaven, that they may see our good works and glorify him. Father, bless us as we go. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.